Now let's explore how shapeholders can fundamentally shape the environment in which organizations operate. Many, especially young people, assume that laws are fixed and do not change. That is absolutely not true. The non-market environment, driven by shapeholders, changes and changes dramatically, shaping business opportunities as it morphs over time. Seeing this young man using a phone hardwired by a cord to the wall gave me a flashback to my younger years. Back when all phones were wired to the wall, and your choice of color was either banana yellow, or if you preferred, banana yellow. Consumers were also hardwired to one company and had a similar range of choices for their phone service. AT&T not only supplied the phone service to nearly everyone, but also was the predominant manufacturer of the phones themselves and the almost exclusive retailer of those phones. Then, prompted by in part activist shapeholders, another shapeholder, the court, broke up AT&T in 1984. And another shapeholder, Congress, deregulated telecom in 1996, so that today you can get your telecommunications service from AT&T or not. You can get your phone from Apple or not. You can choose a Google Android operating system or not. Without shapeholders changing, you wouldn't have Apple versus Android battles. In fact, you probably wouldn't even have Apple or Google, period. And you can buy your phone nearly anywhere, including my personal favorite, the vending machine at my alma mater, Macy's, right beside the bubblegum dispenser. In less than two decades, the world has gone from national monopolies controlling phone services, phone devices, and phone retailing, to an explosion of choices for consumers around the world and a plethora of opportunities for businesses to succeed in the marketplace. The non-market environment does change and it changes dramatically, and it changes the opportunities that are available to businesses. It deserves your attention. The second thing to understand about shapeholders is that they are, just like market actors, highly competitive. Zenia has got it wrong. Great minds do not think alike. There is much conflict in today's world. Some days you are the dog, and some days you're the lamppost. With government trying to muzzle the roar of the markets, with activist groups trying to blame businesses for an endless list of woes, Companies in other countries trying to leverage the actions of their government against you, whether through subsidies or standard setting. And the reputation of all businesses being tarnished in the public's eyes when they witness shocking scandals and cases of greed. The result of this competition among shapeholders decides who wins and who loses. Let's consider a couple of cases on how competition amongst shapeholders impacts business opportunities. Both examples deal with what you eat, and technologies that, though deemed safe by scientists, are hard to understand and therefore cause concern. On the question of whether or not to irradiate meat, Europe generally accepts, well, America chooses to largely reject irradiated meat. So are Americans just more skeptical of the use of advanced technology in food preparation? Not exactly. When it comes to genetically modified crops, Europe and America switch places. Why is that? The answer is in great part non-market competition. Let me begin my explanation by saying how shocked I was when I arrived one morning in Frankfurt to see this in the airline club when I arrived. 
I don't usually have breakfast with Johnny Walker or Jack Daniels, but that was not what startled me. It was the fact that the milk was not being kept cool in a refrigerator or by sitting in ice. You would never see this in America, especially in a business class setting. Neither was the yogurt or the butter. In European markets, eggs sit unrefrigerated, as does the meat. Without the same embrace of refrigeration as America, European farmers have found it in their economic interest to irradiate meat to keep bacteria in check. Conversely, in America, the grass-fed beef industry chooses to make this issue a point of distinction and protest any usage of irradiation in America. Don't I look swell in my 4-H sweater? Yet, when it comes to genetically modified or GMO crops, the European farmers are concerned that they cannot compete with the scale of American agriculture. So French farmers have agitated environmental passions to demonize GMO crops, painting them as frankenfood and insisting on product labeling, thereby effectively setting up a barrier to American-produced GMO crops. The result is that American GMO crops have been largely excluded from Europe. In this round of competition, the score is European farmers one, American farmers zero. But non-market competition is more than just trade wars. Let's consider the impact within Europe. Well, the anti-GMO sentiment has benefited French farmers. Syngenta, the Swiss agribusiness giant that sells GMO seeds and pesticides, was penalized and was forced to play catch-up and explain that with more productive GMO crops, you could benefit the environment by farming less land. In case after case, companies that are savvy in the marketplace, like Syngenta, get caught flat-footed in dealing with shapeholders and are forced to play catch-up. In this case, the European farmers with their allied activist interests score one, with business as personified by Syngenta scoring zero. Understanding the motives shapeholders have and avoiding these kinds of adverse outcomes is a compelling reason for organizations to actively engage the non-market as well as the consumer.